Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric here with Iraq Veteran 8888. Today, we've got a very special gun gripe episode for you. I have a special guest here with me today, Mr. Stephen Gatowski. He is a writer for the Washington Free Beacon. Definitely go check him out on Twitter. Great dude. Tons of great ideas. And we are going to get into the beans and bullets of today's uh, gun gripe. Unfortunately, we have bad news that we have to uh, acknowledge here. And as hard as it is for us to say this in the way that we have to say it, uh, we have had a Supreme Court justice pass away, uh, Ruth Bader uh, Ginsburg, of course, um, a celebrated member of the liberal community, okay, mm-hmm. uh, and a very strong woman, a three-time, uh, you know, cancer survivor, so a fighter till the end, and we, we have to give credit where it's due. She, she was a tough lady, and she put up a, a heck of a fight, and I'd like to give my condolences to her family, her colleagues, uh, her peers, uh, she made great, great uh, strides in women's rights, and she had accomplished a lot of excellent things in her career that are worth, you know, giving a celebration to. So uh, it is unfortunate. Her passing could not come at a worse time uh, for our country. You know, 2020 has been a terrible year, and it feels like 2020 can't get any worse. Unfortunately, uh, you know, there there is a certain political uh, realm that has to be entered immediately. And there is unfortunately no way around it. It has to be done. And that is the issue of, all right, who's going to be the next Supreme Court pick? And there's obviously a heck of a lot of controversy surrounding this situation, which we'll dive into a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, it is really unfortunate. RBG was a, was a liberal icon really of the court. Um, and, you know, whether or not you agree with all of the things that she ruled or all the, the opinions she wrote, she was, you know, a real stalwart and she, she was a fighter. Like you said, she, she uh, beat cancer several times before um, finally passing away here recently. But, um, you know, she was really good friends with Antonin Scalia, too, who was, who was a conservative icon of the court. Uh, and I think that's something that, uh, you know, is, is fairly uh, inspiring and something that we can take uh, a little bit of a message away from in our own lives, but uh, but certainly uh, her death brings up a, a political fight that's going to be quite big. Um, Definitely and, complicates twenty twenty election. Oh yeah, sure. certainly another th- another thing happens in twenty twenty. Right, we got so much going on already, um, and now we have another major event. Like in any any election, a Supreme Court justice uh, dying, especially uh, with the potential for moving the sort of ideological center of the court um, at all, that would be a huge issue in a normal, like any normal election. And in 2020, it's just another one of our huge issues we're already dealing with, um, you know, from the coronavirus to the economy, to the rioting, to just there's so much going on already. But certainly the reality of uh, Ginsburg's death is that she needs to be replaced on the court at some point and it's very likely with Republicans having control of both the presidency and the Senate, which is what you need because the president makes the uh, recommendation uh, and then the Senate is the one that actually confirms it. Um, and so you saw in, in 2016, right, we had Scalia died. Uh, and that was that was another uh, area where you could have seen the change in the ideological balance of the court. Uh, because president, the president at the time was Barack Obama, who's who's liberal, and Scalia is a conservative justice and icon, like we said. But uh, but the, in that case, the Senate was controlled by the opposite party, by the Republicans, and they chose not to uh, confirm or even have hearings for uh, Obama's pick, Merrick Garland, 
because they calculated, they thought, well, let's see what happens with the elections. And if uh, we, if the Republican candidate wins 2016 and we have a Republican Senate, we'll be able to get a justice that we prefer instead of the one that Obama put up. And that's exactly what happened, right? I mean, Trump Trump won the 2016 elections. Republicans maintained control of the Senate. They nominated Gorsuch, and he's on the Supreme Court now. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you had a lot of sort of uh, PR arguments where, you know, McConnell said, well, because the party controlling the presidency and the Senate are different, we're not going to, you know, go through with the nomination. Yeah. And, that, and that's what the president should be. Uh, but you had some other Republicans that went a little a bit further than that out into we're just not going to confirm uh, we shouldn't confirm anyone in an election year. And now so those Republicans are having to sort of walk back what they said, like uh, Lindsey Graham, for instance, true um, said this. But but I mean, he argues that the Kavanaugh, the the firestorm around the Kavanaugh um, uh, nomination has changed his mind. And so. You know, the, the politicians have reasons for why they do, of why course. they argue one thing or another. But the reality is that the Senate and the gets to decide. It, uh, the rest is kind of PR stuff. Like, um, you, the polling might be bad. We'll see. We'll see how it affects yeah. them politically. They might get hurt at the ballot box if they push through a nominee and and the general public doesn't like that they did that and wanted them to wait because obviously we're only forty five days away from the election here, so it's real soon. But um, there's no, there's nothing, there's no legal precedent that stops that would stop them right. from doing that. So, uh, I and I think that Republicans, it'll be interesting because some of them might want to use, might want to wait for the Supreme Court uh, pick until after the election, so that they can say to their voters, "Look, if you vote for me, you'll get the Supreme Court nominee that you want." Whereas if you vote for a Democrat, you'll have. You know, you won't you won't get a, a conservative justice. And I think so, that there's a distinctive um, statement that needs to be made, and that an important takeaway from this is that voting has consequences. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you know, had the Democrats had control of the Senate in 2016, then they would have appointed uh, the, the the Obamas. Supreme Court pick, and they would have totally done it, 110%. There wouldn't have been some, you know, pushback or some, oh, well, we should wait. Well, and to any be fair to Republicans now who are who are sort of switching their position from 2016, Democrats are doing the exact same thing. Well, what I'm trying to say is that the Democrats, when they have power, they use it. They wield it. They wield it like a battle axe, right? So if you gave them an opportunity to get a liberal Supreme Court justice nominee put in, of course they would do it. The only difference is that now... Fast forward to 2020, and now we're in the exact same situation they were with Scalia uh, back then. Now they're just angry and bitter that we actually have the government in place that we need, that the people elected, because elections have consequences, to actually do what we need to do. And so the same system that tried to impeach Trump, right, this whole drama that came apart uh, with the impeachment process and all of the millions of dollars of studies and tax money and all this crap that got thrown at that situation, all the investigating and all this mess, right? Just tying up government in general, right? That costs money, right? The taxpayers float the bill for this stuff, right? So the same government that tried to impeach uh, President Trump, you know, is the same government, you know, the same people that are saying, oh, well, we should wait. Well, wait a minute. We elect government to, 
you know, do what they need to do to do their job. And part of the president's job and the Senate's job is that when a Supreme Court justice passes away or resigns, then they've got to elect a Supreme Court justice. That's part of the system. That's part of what we do. It, and and Donald Trump is president until Election Day. And if that decides different, then that decides different. But until that day comes, he's the president and it's his duty to elect a Supreme Court justice. Now, I will I will say that, yeah, you know, 40, 45 days before the election, it, it does paint a very difficult picture because it's a hard decision that has to be made. And it he's obviously already made the decision to nominate a Supreme Court justice pick. Didn't you have a list of some of his picks? Yeah, well, he he's already, I mean, he's, the to President Trump's um, uh, credit, he's, he's, even back in 2016, he was putting out lists of people he said he would nominate, and he's he's mostly stuck to those lists with Kavanaugh and, and Gorsuch, and so sure. he's still he's got a list out now of the people he would want on there, and and some of them are. I just didn't know if that was going to change, you know. Well, he he updated it recently, actually, before this, that, yeah. and so it includes people like uh, several senators on there now, like Ted Cruz and t- uh, Tom Cotton and and Mike Lee from Utah. I don't uh, think Ted Cruz wants it. No, well, he, he hasn't really expressed interest in it. Yeah, I mean the the speculation right now is that it's the, there's two top candidates. They're both women because uh, I think Trump has said that he thinks he will most likely choose a woman candidate um, to replace uh, Ginsburg, who was obviously a, a pioneer for for women's rights. Um, and the that's top a kind two, gesture. Sure. You know? Yeah. You know, it's that's something he said he wants to do uh, with this pick, um, and so that. The speculation at this point, and Trump has mentioned both of these uh, appeals court justices before, but they're um, uh, it's uh, Barbara. Uh, let's see, what's her name here? It's you got uh, a list. <laughs> yeah, I got. I got. I was just doing a little bit of research on both of them before we we started. Yeah, and Bar- this is Barbara all very got, new stuff. You know. Like, oh yeah. I think we'll see, we don't today? know the pick yet. Either. Yeah, we don't know the pick at the time that this video is being. It's being just recorded. speculation based off. Of, he he called, He specifically publicly said he liked Barbara Lagoa, who who is on um, the Eleventh Circuit Court of Appeals right now. She was actually just recently. Uh, uh, he appointed her to Trump appointed her to the Eleventh Circuit, and she she went through that confirmation with eighty votes. So, which is pretty good in this day and age, uh, as far as an appeals court uh, appointee from President Trump goes. Um, so I guess she's considered maybe to be a, a little bit less risky, uh, option, a little, maybe go over a little bit easier for, for some, you know, more moderate people. I'm not, you know, that's one of the talking points out there at least. Um, and then there's also, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, who is another Trump appointee, um, to the, I believe she's the, the seventh circuit, um, court of appeals. And so she was a little more controversial. I know she had, uh, Several Democrats went pretty hard after her in her confirmation hearings, but uh, but another prominent uh, woman ju- uh, judge who who he's considering, um, and so those are the top two names right now. Uh, he said he wants to make uh, a pick by the end of this week, and he he his position on it now. You know, obviously he doesn't. If Trump didn't, he didn't have to do this. He doesn't have to appoint someone before the election if he doesn't want to. Um, but he's said that he does want to, and he wants to move quickly. There's still some question about whether or not the confirmation would happen before the election or maybe after the election. Um, and there are some Republicans, Republicans only have, uh, what is a four seat majority in this or three seat majority in the Senate, which means two have already swung Two set. Yeah. Two came out Murkowski and Collins both said they don't want to vote before the election. 
Um, and I think Collins said she doesn't want to, she wants the president who wins this election to make the appointment. Well, I bet the whispering in the halls right now, I guarantee you so they're trying two. to convince two more to go. We're not doing it. Oh, so, sure. That's yeah. what Demi- that's you really know dang only, well that's what they're doing. That's the only chance that Democrats have to stop the nomination, essentially, is if they can convince two more Republicans to, to, jump ship. to not vote for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, it seems unlikely to me. I think the most likely outcome is that Republicans appoint a, a new uh, justice. Like I, That seems like the regardless of what happens with the election, just to be just so totally the politics of this situation, right? Um, and and I know that politics can be a sensitive subject for some. And, and I know like there's people tuning in going, well, wait a minute. This is gun gripes. What does this have to do with guns? Well, it's very important. Uh, I, I want to pivot to that. Yeah. Uh, I know that there's the logistics and the and the behind the scenes things as to the 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 lifeblood of this situation. But we want to talk about uh, the Second Amendment uh, ramifications of this situation. As you big. know, you know there there's been a lot of Second Amendment cases go to the Supreme Court and they don't get heard at the Supreme Court. You know, they get turned down and passed down to a lower court. And if we can get another conservative you know, reasonably good, somewhat right-leaning type of person uh, as a Supreme Court justice to replace Ruth, well, then that kind of tips the balance a little bit more into, all right, now we might actually be able to get some uh, Second Amendment cases to the Supreme Court to be heard. And then the general idea is that, obviously, uh, since we kind of have, you know, a four-fifths on that situation, that Mm -hmm. generally the Supreme Court should... Uh, kind of rule in our favor. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the general idea. That's what makes it so important. I mean, obviously, super it, goes, important. it goes beyond guns to lots of other issues, but for for guns specifically, it's for the people watching this channel. It's extremely. It's, it's a gun re- issue. It's something that's going to matter a whole lot. Who who fills this seat? Right. Um, and like you said, I mean, you know, the interesting. I mean, thing it could come down already, to cannabis legalization. It could sure. come down to any hot number. There's so many button topics. The Supreme Court know? deals with just. All kinds of stuff, right. but they obviously are extremely important when it comes to gun rights. Yes, because the Second Amendment uh, for years was basically just ignored, um, and even now, a lot of the justices argue that it's still being ignored. It's still being treated as a second-class right. That's what Justice Thomas likes to say when he writes dissents when they don't take these cases, which he's done several times now. Um, and so, you, based on previous rulings, we know that you know Thomas Alito. Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are are very strongly um, uh, protective of the Second Amendment, and, and they believe in a, in a more expansive Second Amendment than even what's been laid out in Heller, right? Uh, whereas Roberts, Roberts, now Roberts was in he ruled uh, for Heller in Heller versus DC, like he 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 was part of that court and in McDonald too, so you know he, he has a, a, a track record of ruling. Um, in favor of strong Second Amendment protections. Or, have or you ever met Dick? Yes, I have. He is yeah. such a cool guy. If you ever have a chance to meet Dick Heller, do not turn it down. He is such a cool guy. Anyway, I digress. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just want to know if you no, actually no. met Dick. He's yeah. such a cool guy. I just guy. did a story on him recently, actually. Um, DC yeah. is DC still has all kinds of shenanigans they like to pull on gun owners yeah. there. And recently, uh, there was an issue with handgun transfers into the city. If you uh, want to buy a handgun, it was very difficult to transfer it into the city legally. And so he was considering maybe another lawsuit over that. 
Um, he's always kind of considering new lawsuits at any given point because he's he's a gun guy, you know, and he doesn't like a lot of the restrictive stuff that they try to institute in D.C. And to his credit, the courts have sided with him more often than they've sided with the city. So, um, but in that case, Roberts was was on Heller's side. So he, um, you know, he has a a, a track record of of you know interpreting the Second Amendment to actually mean something, right? It's a novel concept, but to at very least mean something. Like at, le- at least needs to mean what it what it's written as at right. minimum. And I mean. so, uh, <laughs> you know, you have, but but recently, the question has been whether or not Robert. So you have a five four uh, majority already in theory because you've got five justices on the court that have a track record of ruling in favor of uh, uh, more robust Second Amendment protections. But the issue now, and why this matters more, is that after Heller and McDonald, there was really only one other Second Amendment case that the court actually ruled on in any at all, really, which is, uh, was it Certino in uh, Massachusetts? It was about stun guns. But it was essentially just the, and it was only like a two-page ruling that said, look, the Second Amendment applies, as we said in Heller, to modern firearms, as modern technologies. They, well. So they were trying to surmise that a stun gun mm. is not protected by the Second exactly. Amendment, which is absurd. And, the, and to be fair, in that case, that was a unanimous decision by the Supreme Court yeah. saying that the ruling in Massachusetts was wrong and that yeah. stun guns are protected under the Second Amendment. But but that's a relatively small case, obviously, and they haven't done anything since McDonald that's really expansive. Right. Yeah, you and, haven't seen the Supreme Court handle things like the bump stock ban making it to the Supreme Court or, you know, things like the NFA. One could even just say the NFA in general uh, is unconstitutional, right? One could argue that you can't tax a right, right? It clearly says you can't tax a right. So if someone has to pay a $200 tax stamp to own XYZ, whatever that piece of technology might be, requiring a tax to take advantage of a right or to, you know, use your rights um, could be constitutionally uh, questionable. It could be, right? Um, And I would say that all all Heller and McDonald really do is establish that the Second Amendment means something. And at the very least, it means that you can't ban the possession of handguns outright for everyone. Yeah, it's an individual right. That's exactly right. That's what Heller and McDonald v. Chicago were about. They had total bans on people owning handguns. And so if you read Heller, it's not super expansive. And it doesn't go beyond really that. And so while while it's important to establish in Supreme Court precedent that the Second Amendment applies to individuals, um, like you just said, that... There's a lot more to be litigated. Like you look at First Amendment litigation over, you know, your right to worship, your right to free speech. There's so much of that that's been on the books for for hundreds of years. They've been litigating what exactly it means in all these specific they, situations. So they probably heard a lot more of those cases that than they have accepted the a lot Amendment. more. And that's the yeah. thing about the Second Amendment. They haven't done much actual litigate. They haven't had many cases that they've decided. And that's where this matters, because in order for the court to take a gun case, you need four justices to agree to take that case. And we saw like 10 cases after the, the Supreme Court just took a gun case, right? They had the New York case about uh, the transportation of firearms outside of the home. New York had these crazy rules about where you can right. take your guns. Uh, you couldn't even take them to your se- to another home in the state. You know, it was extremely restricted. Yeah, very draconian. And so that went to the court and they uh, were poised to like to rule on the merits. But New York 
was afraid of what they might rule. And so New York changed all their laws to try and do right. what's they going on. They proactively tried to the case. move the situation. Exactly. They, they yeah. tried to make the case irrelevant. And that's essentially right. what happened because that's what the Supreme Court ruled. Okay, New York changed the law, so we're not going to do anything with this case. It's just, it's fine now because New, the plaintiffs got what they wanted. Um, and, and then they dismissed all of the other gun cases before the court, basically. C- cases about gun carry, you know, cases about um, nonviolent felons, yeah. Owning firearm, you know, red flag right. stuff, no right. telling, all kinds of stuff. And yeah. and so, the what was taken from that, and we, you know, they don't generally give you the Supreme Court doesn't always give you the reasoning for why they do certain things. They don't right. they don't necessarily tell you why they're just they're not taking a case. Um, you might you'll sometimes get a dissent from a justice that says we should have taken this case, and you got that in in this scenario. Thomas does this a lot with gun cases where he'll be like, you know, what are we doing? Why Second haven't rate. we taken any? Gun cases in a decade, it's a second class right. That's what he said. That's his argument. Like he wants to take these cases. And the, the speculation is well, you've got four, at least four good justices, right, that are guaranteed to like uh, want to expand Second Amendment protections in case law. So why don't they just take a case? And it's because it's the speculation, at least, is that they don't know what Roberts will do in that case. And that's why you don't have a bunch of gun cases going before the Supreme Court because uh, the four justices on the right are not totally sure what just what Roberts would do with a gun case and the four justices on the left aren't totally sure what Roberts would do with a gun case. So they all just kind of leave yeah. it alone. And so when you switch it to a 6-3 um, scenario where you have six more conservative justices and three more liberal justices, it's a then, safer bet. It's, then you probably will see them start to take gun cases. And you could easily see a gun carry case come up. There's, in fact, there's one uh, very strong candidate right now that's going through the Ninth Circuit that that means stuff to finish litigation there. It, it had won at the the circuit level, but they uh, it was on uh, open carry in Hawaii. Young v. Hawaii I interviewed um, the plaintiff in that case. This nice gentleman who lives in Hawaii he just wants to be able to carry a gun on him for protection, and uh, it's effectively illegal to carry a gun in Hawaii. Hawaii has some very strict gun laws, probably the strictest in the country. But so he challenged this case. Uh, he won at the circuit level, and now it's it's going to the the, the appellate level in the Ninth Circuit. But you could see that be a candidate to to for the new court to take um, if, in fact, you get a sixth uh, cons- more conservative leaning justice. Um, you could see any number of cases come up on on all sorts of things: the interstate uh, handgun sales ban, uh, the uh, definition of of uh, AR fifteen. Uh, yeah. lowers you know there's all sorts of stuff you could see come up i would definitely think carry would be your first one uh these sort of uh um may issue states right where, where essentially it's up to the government official whether or not they want to give you a permit regardless of whether or not you pass the 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 background checks and the, the training requirements that would probably be a strong candidate for under heller's decision because heller again it's it's a i think a an even thing. simpler a, a simpler approach is even ju- just to break it down in even simpler terms would be, can you tax a right? All right, that comes in the, can, can you require a license for a right? Can you require someone to have a license to own a gun? Can you require someone to have a training class? Can you require them to pay a $200 tax stamp? So the question really becomes is, you know, when we look at our rights, when we look at the Constitution, the Constitution limits the government's power, not ours, right? So if the Second Amendment is truly meant to be taken in the way that it's written, shall not be infringed, is pretty clear constitutional language, right? 
there's not very many other things in our Constitution that read in the way the Second Amendment does. It's very clear language, okay? It says everything it means and nothing it doesn't, all right? So there ain't no other way to take it. It says shall not be infringed, all right? So if we're really being honest with ourselves, and if the members of the Supreme Court are honest with themselves and can look themselves in the mirror and be honest, then they have to say that anything that is repugnant of the, of the Constitution is, is not a law. So that's kind of where this becomes so important. If we get, you know, this right, conservative-leaning Supreme Court justice to replace uh, Ginsburg, okay, then we have the chance not to stack the deck, but to stack the deck. And like I said early in the video, and what still holds true, is that voting has consequences, right? So just because the consequences of the vote don't line up with what you think is either correct or what you agree with, that doesn't matter because if the Democrats wielded that same sword, they would swing it hard and they would sharpen it with a good whetstone before they did it. You better believe it. You better believe it. They would have done it 110%. So not only should Trump uh, nominate at whatever appointees that he wants, I, I think they should vote uh, before the election because that consequence, you know, can go a couple of different directions. As you said, you know, uh, it could negatively hurt Trump, but I don't think so, because I think that there's going to be a heck of a lot of people that are on the conservative end of things, which, you know, obviously is a huge proponent of his of his voter base, his constituency, uh, that are going to go, you know what, he could have taken the safe political play and waited till after the election to appoint someone, but he stuck his neck out knowing that there could be some negative ramifications in that, well, if you're not going to get reelected, you might as well do one good thing on the way out. And that's put in a proper, you know, he'll be responsible at that point for three uh, Supreme Court justices. So when you look at the people he's nominated, he could have chosen much worse people and he didn't. So I think that says a lot for the longevity of that idea and the longevity of what he's trying to accomplish. Whether or not you like Trump is irrelevant to the fact that that Supreme Court justice that he appoints in the next couple of days and who will likely win the nomination, uh, likely, okay, is going to be in, in office for a very long time because it is a life position unless they resign. So you're talking a ramification that could last 20 or 30 years yeah. or more versus, okay, four more years of Trump, whether you like or hate that, I feel like the, the ramifications and the consequences of that are far less reaching than a potential Supreme Court justice who might live another, you know, however long. Although that's one interesting that's, thing about it, you know, because uh, if Trump says, I won't make this appointment until after the election, so you have to vote for me in order to get this appointment, uh, you know, that's another strong thing he could do politically if he wanted to. Uh, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think if he's he makes the appointment it. before the election. Yeah, I mean, you take the risk, obviously, but but you know that could help you politically too. That's, I think he understands um, the long game. Yeah, the, that's, more that's than people really may matters. be giving him credit for because you know how old is Trump now? He's seventy two, seventy three, something like that. He's, he's in his early seventies. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, uh, look. If I was seventy two years old, I think that I'd be looking at you know what I need to do to probably try to relax and spend some time with my family and my grandkids. I mean, look, you know, being a, a leader like that, it's not easy, okay? And and you have the media constantly bashing you, slinging your, your name through the mud, doing all these things. So it's like, you know, how at what point do you just go, you know what, just screw it. 
You know, so just the fact that he's fighting so hard, whether or not you'd like Trump is irrelevant. I'm not like on the Trump train. Don't think I am. Okay. I, I call out strengths and weaknesses as I see them in every single person. Okay. In the same breath that I can say that Ruth was a strong woman and led a, led an amazing life, I can still say, hey, here's some things that Trump did that are good and I agree with. And then here's some other things on the constitutional side that we can agree that we, we definitely don't agree with, such as the bump stock ban, you know, support of red flag laws. Um, you know, coming out and saying, I hate suppressors. Oh, suppressors, I don't like them. Oh, take the guns first, due process second. I can call out the the tarnished portions of the, the pot and say, hey, we need to polish this and get it a little right, you know. So Trump's position, it, it sucks because what it comes down to is when a gun group like the NRA can come out and say, oh, well, we're going to give Trump an A-plus rating or whatever. The new normal for being pro-gun is not being anti-gun. And that's the wrong answer, right? So if someone says, well, the eight-year attack on your Second Amendment rights has come to a screeching halt, all right? That in itself is not an untrue statement, but it is a misleading statement because it doesn't show solidarity. It doesn't say, hey, as a pro-gun presidential candidate, I promise to do everything in my power to restore long-lost rights. That's a much more concisive statement that can really make a much more distinctive position on a given issue. But to simply say that that the attack on your rights are over is kind of a cop-out. And we're seeing that not only is it a cop-out, but it is kind of rung in a much nastier sound than what we really expected to see. So if Trump does um, nominate the Supreme Court justice and they are brought in before the election, which is very possible, incredibly likely, then we could almost say that that is maybe a tiny little logistical win uh, that won't make his 2A transgressions disappear, but will be ultimately, whether he's elected or not, a part of what his legacy will be 30 years down the road, and only time will, will reveal what that will mean for us. But I think the danger of not putting in a Supreme Court justice while we have the ability to put in someone we know is sensible, uh, not doing that is far, far more dangerous mm. than playing the long game and hoping that you can use it as some bargaining chip. So, and, and I don't think that's in Trump's nature. I think Trump is like, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to do it just because it pisses you off. And that's how he is. The that's fact good. that the left came out and was so adamant about, oh, we should wait till after the election. Trump probably is like, I bet you would. So what do you think Trump's going to do? You think he's going to wait till after the election? No, he's going to do it. But uh, along those lines, though, about, um, you know, ensuring that this new justice is, you know, sensible or or does align with, you know, Thomas or Scalia's view of the Second Amendment. um, You know, it'll be interesting to see these top two candidates, right, because they don't have a ton of of uh, of history in Second Amendment cases now. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett does, she was on the, the appellate court for, um, a recent case, uh, dealing with the, uh, the permanent disenfranchisement of, uh, felons, nonviolent felons, people who've committed nonviolent felonies at some point in their life. How does she vote in that? They're not allowed to, you know, right. As the law stands now, you're not allowed to own a gun at all ever. Um, if you committed a nonviolent felony. Now the court. She was on a three-judge panel. The pan- the other two judges ruled in favor of the law. She was the dissent. 
um, okay. ruling that it wasn't uh, constitutional to have a lifelong prohibition on uh, someone who committed a nonviolent felony and has no record of um, recommitting other crimes. Well, I think it's safe to say that if she can so. come to that constitutional distinction in that decision, then one must also assume that a free man who has done nothing wrong in his entire life shouldn't have to pay $200 to own an item that is legal and you know what I mean it's it's a common item like a suppressor a short-barreled rifle a machine gun these are common items that regular law-abiding folks own on a regular basis so if a, if if she can maintain the position that a felon can have their rights restored I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole we're we're paraphrasing her decision then it's safe to say that that same woman likely would vote yay from a constitutionality standpoint uh, on any 2A, because that's pretty clear. Possibly, right. I mean, it gives you some insight into her thought process, at the very least. So Good she point. has she has a, a, at least somewhat something of a record. Yeah. Uh, Lapoa doesn't have as much in terms of actual rulings. It, t- it doesn't seem like she's had any cases either at the... She was on the Florida Supreme Court and then the 11th Circuit uh, Appeals Court, and she didn't do any gun cases at, at those two levels. She spent about uh, 12 years as a, a lower-level judge in... Um, in Florida, but as far as I could tell from what we know right now, there aren't any gun cases there either. So all you really have to go off for her is uh, some of the things she said when she was questioned during um, her confirmation hearing uh, for the 11th circuit. And she was asked specifically by Diane Feinstein, uh, the Democrat, uh, obviously very anti-gun Democratic Senator from California. Um, You know, she, she asked her a series of questions on, the Heller precedent and, um, you know, whether or not she, you know, her different thoughts on that. Um, and obviously a lot of the questions from these senators are very pointed and, and, uh, meant to try. Oh, they're definitely trying to weed you out and figure out who you are. But basically she, she didn't say a whole lot. She may, she mostly just said, um, that, you know, as a sitting justice, of the Supreme court of Florida and a judicial nominee, it would not be appropriate for me to opine on the on how Heller may apply in future cases, but that she would abide by the precedent. She did say she was asked if Heller left room for common sense gun regulation. That was the the term that uh, Diane Feinstein used when she asked her this question. And her response was uh, in Heller, the Supreme Court stated that, quote, the right to the right secured by the Second Amendment is not unlimited. Uh, the court further explained that, quote, Nothing, in our opinion, should be taken to cast doubt on longstanding prohibitions on the possession of firearms by felons and the mentally ill or laws forbidding the carrying of firearms in sensitive places such as schools and government buildings or laws imposing conditions and qualifications on the commercial sale of arms. So she just quoted from she's essentially saying, look, the here's what Heller says and here's that's what I would abide by as an appellate court judge, because remember, appellate court judges they have to, in theory at least, this isn't always the case, and has there's been a lot of consternation from gun rights people about how Heller has been more or less ignored by lower courts, but they're supposed to take what the Supreme Court says in a decision and apply that to the cases that they're dealing with. And so oftentimes in these sort of confirmation hearings, that's basically what they'll say when they get asked about things. They'll sure. say, look, uh, the Supreme Court ruled on this, and I would apply it because that's the precedent because I'm an appellate court judge. Now, when you get to the Supreme Court, and you're the one making the precedents, you know, then those questions become a little more open-ended. It to takes me, on a different like, appeal well, after you that. you said yeah. that's the precedent now, and that's what you applied when you were an appellate judge, because that's how it's supposed to work. 
But would you, how would you rule now that you're going to be the one making the precedents? And that's, that's, that's something you can't really ever know for sure, to be fair to any of these justices. Like you can look at their track record and that's where like someone like Lapua, you might want to have a little more scrutiny as a second amendment person, you know, second amendment advocate looking at her record. There's not a lot to go off of as far as we can tell. Maybe there'll, maybe there'll be a case that'll come up and we'll get a little more insight uh, as we dig into her a little more. But right now, you know, there is at least some chance that, you know, she said she abide by Heller as an appellate judge. She hasn't gotten a case to that, you know, regard yet. So we don't know exactly how that would work out if she became, um, you know, a a Supreme Court justice. And that's where you have to be more careful because there's plenty of times in history where especially Republicans will pick justices uh, that they think are closer to their philosophy who turn out to not be in the long run and, and rule oftentimes against them or a swing vote or whatever. And, you know, look, judges, ideally you're supposed to pick someone based off of their, uh, their ability to uh, apply the constitution and logically think through um, the case and not just import their opinions. Right. Um, but obviously in practice, that's often uh, a difficult thing to suss out in a confirmation hearing. And so that's where you just have to be, I think, um, try to be skeptical. It's a lifetime appointment. Like I know a lot of people in the gun world are very big Trump fans and they'll probably just, uh, you know, whatever he wants to do, they'll be on board with. And that's, that's reasonable enough, but you know, it is important to actually uh, look into these, what these people believe and, and how they will apply this and make sure that you get them, to give you at least some understanding of that, you know, before you give them 40 years on the court. Well, there was a couple of things earlier before we started the video that we were discussing uh, that I wanted to bring up just so we don't forget them. I wanted to, you know, bring it up here. Uh, One is that there are, there are some Republicans that are pushing to not, you know, vote in the Senate Mm -hmm. on the Supreme court pick till after the election and I almost wonder if it's because they're worried that their voter base is going to find out that they're rhinos. So that's one thing to consider is that it, that the vote, the good thing about bringing the vote up is that if there are any rhinos in the Senate that are fence sitters, you're going to find those people really quick because they're going to vote nay, even if they're a Republican. Now, we know of two. How many are being silent about it and just hoping that this thing's going to move, boil over and they're going to dodge a bullet? And what you wind up running into is when you get all of these Supreme Court justices in one place— as you mentioned before, Steve, is that they become a little bit more moderate. If they're liberal, they do tend to kind of get a little bit more moderate uh, in their disposition the longer that they serve on that seat. Okay, so it's safe to say that someone who may have became a Supreme Court justice and went in as a known liberal and as a known, you know, I guess, left leaning type of person there's another Achilles heel there is that as you permeate that court with more folks that are right-leaning, more conservative values, there's a pretty solid chance that they may even be able to sway the opinions of the remaining liberal uh, Supreme Court justices because they are intelligent and logical people. It's, you know, they're put into these positions because of their brilliant minds, because of their knowledge of constitutional law, the Constitution, how it applies, and how to how to sort of, um, you know, sift through it and be able to materialize into a decision. So these aren't dumb people. I mean, they understand the logic, 
right, in certain situations. So we can assume that there might be a bit of a peer pressure aspect that allows some of these more right-leaning uh, folks to maybe sway the opinions, even though we may not necessarily need it per se, there is a strong chance that some minds could be changed and maybe some political goalposts for the remaining liberal justices could get moved a little bit. And I would possibly. also say, too, along those lines, that you know we, we tend to think of in the political world, the Supreme Court is like, you know, just a scoreboard of five versus four, six versus three, um, you know, in terms of like the six Republican appointees, three Democratic appointees, or six. But oftentimes, in the vast majority of cases, the Supreme Court doesn't divide along those lines. Um, you know, and yes, it happens in controversial cases, um, you know, Fairly regularly, in, in terms of like really high profile cases, because yeah. you once you vote, once you put your name on the yay, I, I support this. That's record forever, and sure. your voters, you know, the voters for that party are going to be like, well, dang, this Supreme Court justice voted yay for this yeah. when I thought that their ideology lined up with. That's X, what gets a lot X. of the attention is like the really high profile cases where it's where it's like a narrow five four. Uh, six three vote, sure. but more often than not, most of these cases come down seven to nine. Like that, that the twenty sixteen Sertina Sertrano, I forget how to pronounce it, but the Massachusetts stun gun case was unanimous. Like the even though there's obviously a heated difference in approach to the Second Amendment between the liberal justices and the conservative ones. Um, you know, when it came to the Supreme Court in that case was saying, look, you're just ignoring what we'd ruled previously. The liberal justices joined into that to that one, too. And, and it's something that happens a lot more. Like we view the court very politically because, um, you know, that's how it gets covered. That's where all the attention goes to the really heated, charged cases. But oftentimes these justices not only are friends with each other, like like uh, Ginsburg and Scalia were, but but are on the same page in a lot of situations. The Supreme Court. Uh, deals with so many different issues that we only really focus on the ones that are hot button political issues at, at any given time. Yeah, and what matters to us? I mean, they they you know do end up getting a very well rounded view from the amount of cases that they take and from so many different places mm -hmm. that those cases originate from. It does give them a much different view of what Americans want, like eh, the finger on the pulse may be in a little bit different way than a lower sure. court might have. Sure. hundred uh, percent. Well, guys, uh, I definitely want to thank you for watching today's video. We hope you enjoyed this gun gripe. Um, I will have Stephen back on some other videos with us. So be sure to, you know, tune in for that. Uh, follow him on Twitter, uh, Stephen Gutowski, and also follow uh, the Washington Free Beacon. If you're on Twitter, they're very active on there. Um, but, Thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Me. Absolutely. Guys, have a great day. We've got many more videos on the way. Um, if you love the channel and you wish to support us, some of the most direct ways you can do so, go over to Ballistic Inc. and pick yourself up a t-shirt. Uh, we've also got some great man cans on sale. In fact, this recent run of man cans we're doing right now, we're about to close the sales on them. So if you want a man can, get your order in now before we start shipping uh, so you get in on this cycle. So I just wanted to you know, provide that there. But have a great day. We'll see you next time.